Hello, welcome to a special episode of Light. I'm Lou Jansen Dangzala, and I'm an immigration lawyer here in Toronto. And my name is Will Tao. I'm an immigration and refugee lawyer here in Burnaby, British Columbia. So we're, you know, we kind of like figured that we do a more freestyle episode today. We're going to talk about two important pathways, two new developments, essentially, that came out in the last week. And uh, Will actually very timely published the blog post about them. So if you are curious and you want to read this, head over to Vancouver Immigration Blog, where you'll find Will's latest article. Thank you so much. And before we begin, I always want to recognize that I'm uh, speaking from the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Kaikat Nations here in Burnaby, British Columbia. And I'm speaking from the traditional territories of the Mississaugas of the New Credit First Nations here in Ontario, Canada. LJ, there are bags under your eyes. It's a Wednesday, but it feels like a Friday. And by the time you all hear this, it'll be a Thursday, hopefully. Yeah. Um, what, what's your week like? And and, and uh, tell me about uh, the big news to, of today. Well, you know, when things start to kind of like blend in together, I did not have a weekend, as you can imagine, because of these new streams that our friends over at Immigration Canada announced. They're very important pathways. 90,000, uh, essential, essentially 90,000 per new permanent residents will divided into two groups, essentially, one for international graduates and the others for essential workers, and then further divided into 30,000 to frontline essential workers and uh, 20,000 for healthcare workers. Today, we're going to talk about uh, international students, if I'm not mistaken. Well, right, that's your forte, too. Absolutely. And the international graduates pathway is probably one of the most interesting ones. I think we'll touch on all, all the pathways because I think they're all really in, important and interesting. Absolutely. Uh, but the big news today, and, and this has been shared on our immigration lawyers listserv, which we want to give everyone a bit of a sneak peek into, is that there's been a technical briefing held by IRCC mm-hmm. on this program. So, you know, the instructions, I, I had akin them to uh, IKEA instruction manuals. We have a little <laughs> bit more information now that we can share with everyone about what this program looks like. So LJ, why don't you take it away with some of the first things from the technical briefing that... Well, uh, let's start off with what happened last week. Last week was just a sneak peek. Essentially, the policy was released. They did outline some of the eligibility criteria, but that really generated more questions than answers. So I got all of my clients like ringing from left and right and up to my ears for emails, essentially trying to answer each and every single question that I got from clients, new clients trying to hire me, essentially, to explain to them if they qualify in this program. There are essentially those programs that we outline for international graduates and essential workers. And today we had that technical briefing, as Will said. And uh, some of the points that were brought up today are actually in terms of the eligibility. Certain questions were raised by members of the um, uh, Canadian uh, Bar Association. Shall we head off to start off with the questions, Will? What do you think? Absolutely. Let's dig into some of these questions and, and the technical tips. So I think some of the first things that really stand out or the first one that stood out to me the most was that the uh, intake cap is actually calculated based on the number of times the submission button is pressed. Right. So this is a very, very different model than uh, in the past where it's, you know, either based on uh, submitted applications that are complete or, or some other type of threshold. This is really a submission button press system, and there is no R10 completeness check. LJ, what is the R10 completeness check and why is it so uh, unique for this particular program not to have the R10 completeness check? 
Well, most immigration programs would have an, a completeness check based out of uh, Section 10 of the regulations, hence R10. If your uh, application is not complete, they'll return it to you essentially, and they wouldn't even put it in the system. But they're temporarily suspending that for this particular um, stream of programs, right? And you know, as long as you meet the eligibility, that's it. As long as you're able to put it in, and as long as you're able to click that submit button, that's it. Yeah, but what looks like they're what it looks like they're going to do for this program that's a little bit different is they're going to rather than re return applications as incomplete, they're going to ask for a lot more things on the front end. So <laughs> be prepared to answer a very detailed survey right. before you even get to access the application. So for those who are familiar with the notification of interest um, for the parent grandparent program, it's a very short survey, essentially. It's, it's almost like it's a one pager. They need to know fundamentally, like who's sponsoring, who are you sponsoring, how much are you making, where are you at? This one is likely going to be a longer list. And I think, well, if I'm reading this right, you're going to upload certain documents too, right? either upload or request directly things such as language test results. So what this means for individuals is if you don't have the language test at the front end, you may not be able to actually even get into the application portion to submit those actual results. So uh, I suspect it'll be somewhere like the coming to Canada tool where you have to fill right. it out and make sure you hit the certain correct combination of things and information in order to be able to access the application, which itself creates a whole slew of interesting questions. So, so that's right. You know, if you do the IELTS, for example, you're given an IELTS certificate code. And when you're putting together your express entry profile, you do have to put that in. So essentially, if you don't have that, you know, you can't put something up if you don't have the minimum eligibility essentially set for this particular program. Yeah. So what's the, what's the implication, uh, Will, if, you know, right now, given COVID, you're trying to book an ex a, a test date, for example, and everyone's trying to book a test date, what are you hearing on the ground? Well, I've had three or four consultations today where my advice was go book a test date, but the reality also is, you know, this program opens in May 6th, the test dates are full or filling up uh, to the point where, you know, many of the tests will probably be after May 6th, and it's frankly uncertain at this stage how many days past May 6th that the cap will, will the cap be full by the time that they write their exams which means that the exams will possibly only be useful for the permanent residency and another pathway down the road so a lot of questions a lot of uncertainty and I think that's what's making a lot of individuals who want to pursue this opportunity a bit nervous and of course us Absolutely. I've heard stories of people actually making, you know, travel arrangements outside Canada on top of it, just to book those test dates, which, you know, it, it carries a lot of risk because of the current situation with the pandemic. And on top of it, a lot of financial onus because of the quarantine requirements and coming back to Canada, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I think one of the things that makes this application unique as well is that the applicants have to utilize their own portal. There is no access to this through the through our lawyer's authorized representative portal. So a lot of self-represented applicants are sort of on their own slash, you know, I'm sure there's going to be individuals creating emails. Again, I'm not taking that approach. I think that unfortunately the way that this has been created makes our engagement in terms of submitting applications on clients' behalf a major ethical risk because you know, if we represent four or five clients, who's to say that you're going to be able to get them all in, especially if they do them right. all simultaneously. Right. But the problem is too, like 
I don't have access to my app, to the applicants uh, own portals. And I don't think I should be asking for their passwords either. So it's, it, it creates a lot of interesting and unique ethical dilemmas as well. That's right. So basically uh, you don't have access to counsel at this point. You can be guided, but you know, there are limitations to that as opposed to someone who's doing bulk carriage, which is really interesting. And it hammers down to point number one in your blog today. Well, when you talked about speed-based system will inevitably lead to crash crashes talks about like the technical side of it. Let's also talk about, for example, not everyone has, you know, let's say the proficiency in navigating their way around browsers, the websites, mm -hmm. for example, mm -hmm. those who are not very familiar with online forms will have a gross disadvantage to those who aren't. So it creates all these levels of, let's say, accessibility challenges for potential clients. And, you know, normally these people would rather that they're, you know, getting help from representatives, whether they be lawyers or consultants. But this time around, that's not the case. It can't be. And you're absolutely right. You were knocking on the right door when you said that if you had four or five clients, ultimately you will have to prioritize, which is not fair to all of your clients. So, you know, it does present challenges, but it also kind of like, you know, presents that kind of like uh, ethical dilemma for, for lawyers as well. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that there, I mean, our, our job is to be critical, right? Like I can easily take it from, from another angle and say, you know what, happy days. There's these mm -hmm. spots that are opening up. It's right. great. And it is great. You know, there, I'm, I'm glad the PR pathway is being expanded. I'm glad that they're recognizing this is an issue. And, but still, like, I think I have to be critical about the ways that this could have, you know, this, this, the, the government chose to approach this. I think, and I, you, we mentioned this before the conversation started LJ, but you probably could have given them a little bit more time, right? Like the, yeah. the opening of this program in May in just a, in just a couple of weeks after announcement, right. a bit suspect. And it, and it creates this rush to third-party services that I think right. will have an ultimate, ultimate detrimental effect. Over, I mean, overall. on top of it, think about it. Like if it's, it's May the 6th, if you intend to capture people who are finishing their uh, programs of study this year, this April, it's very unlikely that these people will get all the necessary documents from their DLIs in time for when the portal opens. I, I have several clients, for example, here in the greater Toronto area who are already basically begging their DLIs to get their documents in time. But, you know, a lot of their marks have yet to be done, right? And what if the DLI actually ends their session, let's say middle of April? What if the other one ends uh, really on the 30th of April? Because that is the case with several DLIs here in Toronto. So, you know, some people are already put at a gross disadvantage in putting together all of their documentation. They might not have all the documents that are necessary for this. I mean, and reading the, reading the wording right now, we don't even know, you know, what it means by attestation if, you know, mm -hmm. and, and an official completion of studies letters itself enough because usually you also need a final transcript. Many That's transcripts right. will be available by then. Right. In many places, it takes a couple of weeks just to order a transcript. And of course, for most schedules, graduation doesn't occur. The diploma doesn't get pre presented <laughs> until June or, or later, which by all means, it looks like the, the program would be, would be fulfilled by then. If, if, right. And this is all pre-COVID. Keep that mm -hmm. in mind. So with the complication that COVID's you know, it's a monkey wrench into the engine, right? Let's, let's, let's not kid ourselves. Like that's probably not going to happen until like end of May or June. So my question then, and as you said, like wearing that critical hat, why the choice of May the 6th? I like what you said in your blog that, you know, there are possible solutions that may not be too late. I mean, you said it's likely too late, but because they've made the announcement, but 
I, I like the suggestion of maybe like, you know, um, gradually, you know, uh, rolling it out, for example, or maybe choosing just this later date, for example, maybe end of May, that that really opens up a lot of spots for English tests, for example. Yeah. And, and maybe it was specific, like we never know that the policy makers, right. we, you know, we, we always point out their gaps, <laughs> but there is a hidden yeah. brilliance too. Maybe they just said, you know what, we want it now. These other graduates will have, early, you know, a three-year postgraduate work permit. They'll have time right. to make it up. They'll get into CEC. This is for the people who, you know, in the January 2017 and a little bit after who, who, who don't have maybe options now. It, it could be that that's who it's targeted right. at, right? But I, mean, I think it, sh it should be made clear. Yeah, we never know how that, that particular mind operates. And, and from my end, from like the, where, the where, we're, where we're at at the moment, we're in the trenches with our clients. Uh, what I've been telling is just to give them a glimmer of hope is that, well, you know, you may not make it for this train, but you're absolutely right. Well, um, you know, the, the express entry program is not going anywhere. It's still going to be there. There's still time for you to prepare for a potential draw down the line. Keep in mind that a lot of good candidates are now going to be channeled through this particular stream. I don't know how that will, you know, affect the cutoff scores. We don't know. Maybe we should ask ask Mark again. But, you know, um, I, I would like to get his thoughts on that. But at the same time, I'm like. You know, there are other programs that will be available out there as well. Um, the provincial nomination programs are, are basically uh, in the offing at this point, just because, you know, the draw from February tanked it. The 80,000 draw will absolutely tank it further. Um, so the programs are wide open, guys. Um, I don't think uh, this should, you know, if you don't make it for this uh, program that you should just give up. I completely agree with you. Although I have to put one thing that I, I still have some beef with and I, and I have a bone to pick with is, is self-employment. I mean, ah. as, as self-employed individuals ourselves, and you know, I have, I just had a conversation today with someone who's been in Canada six years is self-employed doing incredible work, but mm. because they're self-employed, they're only eligible for the FSW, the Federal Skilled Worker Program, which unfortunately hasn't had a draw uh, since I think December and and their their score is not enough because they don't have the Canadian work experience I think we're going to have to think of somehow some sort of pathway now because the reality of this economy is that a lot of workers are now self-employed right that employers don't want to pay their that's right benefits or their certain you know file taxes and do certain things on the on, on the behalf especially if they're foreign workers and they're making right. them work self-employed but none of that work is, is benefiting to their permanent residents in terms of making them competitive for CEC because they're not eligible. And then you have the problem of a self-employed program that is pretty much shut down. That's supposed to be for your artists and your film and television and, and really, really important industries to Canada, workers that are now on the outside looking in. So I hope something is done. And I think this program has sort of, again, shown that importance of, 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 those, of that big gap. Well, changes are coming. I mean, we're seeing systemic changes now. They're migrating a lot of the applications into an online platform. Let's keep hoping and let's keep that conversation with our friends over the immigration department continuing. Absolutely. So to close off this conversation, LJ, tell me, you know, if I'm someone who is applying under this, and again, with all the things that you've said about possibly not being able to be my rep because of the way the system and the portal is, what would your advice at this preliminary stage be for someone both preparing, but also at the time when they, you know, they open up their computer on the sixth and suddenly they get this feeling of, you know, uh, there's an exam due and I got to hand it in, but I'm uh, entirely unprepared. What, what to do? 
keep your tabs on immigration, first of all, guys, because they're supposed to come out with a guide on how this is going to, you know, come down on May the 6th. So there was a technical brief briefing today. They weren't able to share what the guide is yet, but it will come definitely before the 6th. So keep your eye out for that. Number two, I would suggest this very strongly. I've been advising my clients who are gunning for this program to basically take the entire day off, uh, just clear it out, make sure that your internet services are there, have backups, have your main device ready, clear, clear your caches, just so that your browser is going to be like working fine and dandy. Uh, make sure that you have a fast computer, make sure you have a backup device. If your internet service fails, which it did a couple of days ago for a certain provider, have a backup system, guys. So whether that be your phone through the you know cell phone network, if you have to sort of like tether your device into your computer, do it. Just be ready on the day of. Have all the forms ready. Consult with an immigration representative, whether it's a lawyer or a consultant. See if you already have like the the uh, preliminary forms uh, that will be uh, likely used for this program. The usual suspects, guys, are going to be found on immigration's website, the generic application form, the family information form, stuff like that. You should probably start looking into that. Get yourselves familiar with that because on the day of, we cannot be there for you as your representatives, as your lawyers. You have to do it in your own. You have to teach yourself how to get around these forms really easily. You have to master it. Yeah. And that's you know, it's scary because I don't know about yourself, but for, for myself, that's one of the things we often step in to tell our clients is like, don't rush it, right? right. Don't try and do this in one day. Mm. Let's, you know, pace it out. Let's mm -hmm. review things twice, three times. Mm -hmm. If there's an possible inadmissibility or, or misrepresentation or, or things we need to explain, let's write a long uh, winded cover letter sometimes <laughs> to explain that discrepancy. Well, some of that logic has to go a bit out of the door when you're dealing with a speed-based uh, deadline in terms of trying to make it before everyone else does. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just, just be ready as best as you can. Unfortunately, we don't know what shape, size, and form this program is going to actually look like on the 6th. But the best way to prepare for this is to inform yourself as to what immigration normally asks for clients who are applying for permanent residence. So come talk to me. Come talk to me. Come talk. Call Will. Um, book a consultation. See what you know. Understand what immigration is looking for from their applicants. Wonderful. So on that note, thank you so much for listening to our discussion on this temporary public policy on the TEF technical briefing. I hope we gave you a little bit of an insight to some of the things we're seeing. LJ, any closing thoughts on your end? Just get ready, guys. And if you have questions, reach out to Will, reach out to me. Be happy to book your consultation and you know help you in preparing for May the 6th. All right. Well, good luck on the process. We'll try and keep you posted through our socials on anything you should know. But Again, your best resource is better understanding yourself and your situation and getting that documented and, and ready to go for May 6th. All right. So everyone's excited for May 6th. We're excited too. And hopefully we'll see you very, very soon on our next episode. This is M in light episode number six. See you soon. Mm -hmm.